Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So there's this one photo of me that I really kind of hate. It gets used a lot in news articles about 3x3 and our team, so I have to see it way more than I'd like. It's from the Pan American Games. I had just made a free throw to beat Brazil in the semifinal game, which meant that we were going on to play for the gold medal. It was a really big deal. And in this photo, I'm standing in the middle of my teammates who have just come over to celebrate. And my head is tilted back with like every muscle and tendon in my neck like flexed and visible. My eyes are closed and my mouth is wide open and I'm just screaming my head off. And the reason I kind of hate the photo is because I don't even recognize myself. I don't scream like that. I consider myself calm and collected on the court. I rarely show emotion when I'm playing. But that moment was different. It was this crazy mix of exhaustion and elation and relief. Elation because we had won. And relief because we had scrapped and fought so hard to make it there. And the only way to let it go was to just scream. It takes a lot of work to play at a high level. You miss a lot of parties for early morning workouts. You spend a lot of time sore or tending to injuries. And you're always pushing past your physical boundaries. And it's a lot of pressure. When it all pays off, it's an amazing feeling. It's like everything you sacrificed was worth it. But when you lose, it can be overwhelming. And that's where those big explosions of emotion come from. It's everything coming together all at once. To be your best, you have to reach deep inside yourself and find the hardest, ugliest emotions you usually hide and use them. The fear, the anxiety, the anger, you can't hide from them. You have to look directly at them or else they just might get the best of you. I'm Kareem Maddox, and this is The Greatness. A heads up, in this episode, we talk a lot about mental health and about suicidal thoughts. So please keep that in mind as you listen and think about who might be listening with you. Khalil Thompson always had a thing for swords. I grew up watching Star Wars, Zoros. I love swords all the time. And I was never allowed to have a toy sword. That was like the number one thing I was not allowed to do. We went Toys R Us, Target, no. Why? I don't know. (laughs) To this day, I don't know. It was just like a, just no, you can't have this. The thing that Khalil loved most about swords were the sounds they made. And how the duels in the movies looked like dancing. So when he finally got the opportunity to start fencing, Khalil was all in. This is awesome. Sign me up. I'll do this. The first time Khalil went to the Peter Westbrook Foundation in New York, he was nine. He had tagged along with his older sister, Kamali, for her fencing lesson. On his first day, they made the trek from their home in Teaneck, New Jersey, on the subway. And Khalil was excited. 
they walk into this huge open room on the second floor, and it's like Khalil's dream. He sees the older kids getting ready, taking their weapons, their swords, out of their bags, trying on their masks. There's a lot of energy in this room. Finally, the warm-up starts. They're running in a circle. Then his shoelaces come untied. So he stops running and sits down with his legs splayed out to retie them. He's completely in the way of the other runners, but he doesn't pay attention to that. He's nine. And all, I, all of a sudden, I feel a like a hard tap on my shoulder. And like, yo, man, what are you doing? You go, you hurt somebody in my class. You can't do that. What you doing? And I look up and I see this, I, <laughs> I see this old man. He's wearing jeans, Nike Air Max 95s, and a Peter Westbrook Foundation hoodie. And he's pissed. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't want my bad. I don't know what's going on. It was an accident. I'm sorry. And I'm running. I'm running. And I'm like, yo, who was that? That angry old man. That was Peter Westbrook, the founder of the club, the guy who put American fencing on the map. A living legend. Peter went to six Olympics, and he took home a bronze medal in the 1984 games. It was America's first medal for the sport in 24 years. That also made him the first black American to medal in fencing. In the early 90s, he started the Peter Westbrook Foundation. He wanted to make fencing available to kids like him, black and brown kids, poor kids, kids who might otherwise not come across fencing. And since then, Four fencers from his program have gone on to win Olympic medals. So yeah, that old man, that's who yelled at Khalil on his first day. Oh my gosh, you're the guy who runs all of this. <laughs> so you're like, oh, that's a off on the the wrong foot. I was just, yeah, I was just like, oh, that's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily for Khalil, Peter doesn't remember any of that. We have 130, 50, 160 kids. So when I look at them, they all look alike, beautiful, handsome, magnificent. But it takes about a second or third time that I can see the different light, the different glow in the individual. And Khalil had that different light and glow after the second time. Mm. Um, so do you remember that second time, what it was about that time you saw him that made him stand out? Well, for me, when I look at Khalil, I saw, first of all, passion. Mm. I see love. When in order to be successful in anything, Kareem, you have to have unbelievable passion. Khalil had that passion. But within a few weeks of practicing, he realized he was kind of good at it, too. The first action, or fencing move, that Khalil learned was a parry repost. He deflected an attack and then countered with his own strike. And I didn't really mean to do it. I just, I hate the feeling of being poked. And the coach was just like, I didn't teach you guys that yet. And I was like, I just don't like being hit. Which is pretty wild because he was nine. Yeah. And they're like, no. And the coach was just like, that's, okay, I'm going to watch you a little more in class now. Fencing is played up and down what's called a strip. It's about five feet wide and 46 feet long. Fencers wear these suits with electric sensors that record when their opponents strike them. Each strike is one point. Bouts last about 10 minutes and the first to 15 touches wins. There are three different styles of fencing, foil, epee, and saber. Beginners usually start on foil because it's a great way to learn basic fencing technique. You have to drill a lot of hand and footwork. But Khalil was drawn to saber. 
And to me, Saber looks the most like a real sword fight. And that's what Khalil liked about it. It's fast moving and intense. So once he got the basics of foil down, he moved on. In Saber, distractions, even tiny ones, can cost a fencer a point. So their attention has to be focused on the strip all the time. And Khalil had a hard time with that. Things at home were difficult. There was a point where like my dad would slowly not be around and then like all of a sudden he wasn't back. Why isn't he coming back? You know, can he, is he ever going to come back? But I didn't know hmm. how to react. And I was a very sensitive, I was a very sensitive kid. I couldn't talk about it at the time. I couldn't tell somebody I was angry because I didn't know how to, I didn't know what I was feeling. Yeah. I mean, did you feel like, how can you know at that age whether it has something to do with you? Exactly. There was just so many things running into my mind and I thought it was my fault and stuff like that. And I was a pretty angry kid. I tried therapy, didn't work out hmm. as a kid because I just couldn't communicate my feelings. It wasn't easy at school either. I was like always trying to fit in. I always tried to like, cause I didn't have a set friend group. So I always tried to fit in. I tried to be cool. I tried to ride with popular people. I tried to find friends wherever I could. Um, and at some point I went through a phase of nobody likes me. By the time he was 11, Khalil started to withdraw. I'm a huge nerd. So I would bring comic books to school to read on my free time. I was just that kid to make fun of. It was very easy because I would lash out. Like if somebody would make fun of me, I would oh, I would yell, stomp, whatever. Fencing was a place where I felt like I had some like friends. Hmm. Um, and like, it was a space for me to be really comfortable, a space for me to like talk to people. When you're in the foundation, Peter brings, brings a sense of family. A couple of years into fencing, Khalil was spending most of his free time at the foundation. I would leave school at three o'clock, go to the city during rush hour. So I'd either sleep or do a little bit of homework on the bus, get to practice around five o'clock, five to about eight thirty, nine o'clock, and then get home by 10.30. What is it about fencing that requires so many hours? You have your technical training, your footwork, your conditioning, your strength training, your mental preparation, which you also like, you need to have some fight in you because it's very easy in the split second of one second, you lose all the fight and next, you know, you lose six points in a row. And to me, like, to me, that's the equivalent of, you know, not being able to get past the first down in football or in basketball In basketball, you, so a team goes on a 10 0 run on you and you're like, and there's only a few minutes left in the quarter. You know, you need to be able to get yourself out of that or be able to shut that down and come back from it. An old fencing cliche is that fencing is like a cross between boxing and chess. When someone is flying at you with a sword, you need footwork like a boxer to stay upright and the ability to think several steps ahead of your opponent, like a chess master. You have to be able to move at intense speed for a few seconds, stop, recoup, and reset in like two seconds and go back at it again for another... And like so much is going through your head at the same time. Like when I fence, one point can feel like forever. For me, time slows down. And the moment time starts speeding up again, I feel like I've lost control. And it's your job to regain control in the match. 
Controlling the match means not letting your emotions get the better of you, resisting the urge to make impulsive moves. In those early years, Khalil's emotions got the best of him a lot. He would get frustrated in a match, and then he'd get riled up and angry. Sometimes he yelled. Sometimes he threw his weapon. I didn't like who I was whenever I had those episodes, and it was really tough. So for me to be like, oof, and it would drain me sometimes. Like I'd be, so I'd be like really, I'd have this moment of rage and I'd be really upset right after. And it was, um, it was scary to deal with. He was carrying a lot of anger and pain at the time and he wasn't coping well. I did not want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with some of those problems at school. I didn't want to deal with problems at home. Because he wasn't coping, it followed him onto the strip. Peter Westbrook talks about this a lot. He wrote a book called Harnessing Anger. It's about how he learned to channel his rage into his fencing. I come from a very broken family. Japanese mother, African-American forefather. And he used to beat her all the time. And me watching that gave me so much anger, so much rage. And in addition to that, in my environment, in the housing projects in Newark, everybody's bullying, fighting, hate, crime, knives, got everything. So for me, that was just in me. I had to make sure when I came to fencing, how to turn it on, how to turn it off. It was always in me. But I got to understand and learn, how do I channel it to make me win? Peter said he had to pull that fight out to improve Khalil's attack. Instead of ignoring his anger or trying to bury it, he needed to get comfortable with it so that he could use it. And boy, oh boy, were we able to pull that out of him. Sometimes it's so good that he gets a little crazy. I got to calm him down. I got to say, Khalil, he says what? Down, boy, down. He wants to produce Olympians from the foundation, but if you don't, he wants you to be an Olympian in life. Obstacles you face in fencing will also happen in life. When he was 13, Khalil got the chance to see what would happen when he managed to focus and harness his anger the way that Peter taught him. It happened at a summer fencing camp. I definitely remember someone made a joke about me. I just remember feeling so angry. And then the next day, they were still making jokes, and I was still, I just got angrier. And when we fenced, I was like, I'm going to beat the crap out of you guys right now. And I definitely remember just like <laughs> going crazy in that match. And then they were just like, yo, you had chill. I was like, nah. It was like, no, you guys were talking crazy. Like now, like we can do something about it. Let's go. And then they would fight. Like, we fight back. Like we were going back and forth. But that was definitely the first time in my life I'd really fenced like that. Then at some point I was like, really, I just... Again, I gained my momentum. Boom, boom, boom. Who, who won it? Oh, I won. <laughs> I won. I'm, I made sure. You crack jokes, but yeah, I'm not going to let you beat me. Khalil had learned to focus his anger on the strip, and that would make a huge difference in his fencing career. But as you get better, your opponents get better too. And Khalil was about to face off with his toughest opponent yet. Hi, my name's Ben Lewis, host of the new series Art Bust, Scandalous Stories of the Art World. I'll explore some of the most shocking art crimes and biggest scandals. 
I know it's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. There's no honor among thieves. I would like the European and Western countries, including the United States, to recognize their crimes. It's about murder in the name of art. Tune in to Art Bust, scandalous stories of the art world, an Antica and USG audio production, available wherever you get your podcasts. By the time Khalil was in high school, he was fencing at international competitions across Europe. He was in front of big crowds full of college scouts, and he was doing really well. He started to think that maybe he had a shot at going pro, or even going to the Olympics. He felt a lot of pressure to do well, and a new kind of emotion too, one that he hadn't spent years learning to harness. Just like a paralyzing anxiety. And you, you start feeling doubt. Can I do this? Should I be doing this? Do I do I fit in this room of people? Like That's what you feel at the time. And then you start overthinking everything you're doing. And while you're feeling too focused and too into your head, your body can't react to anything. It started at his first international tournament. And it got really bad at a tournament in Hungary. I kept losing a touch a certain way. Um, and I was losing because I was always one step behind. So if I, if I come in, I'm going to come in slower, but still have one step and finish my attack, I'll score the touch. I did that for like six touches straight. He was down zero to eight. It's like being down 40 points in basketball. You don't come back from that kind of deficit. I was getting really scared because I, I, I couldn't move. If he thought about the score, he knew the match was already over. And then I was like, just move your feet. So he focused, one point at a time, small steps. After that, the paralyzing fury is gone, and then now I'm getting in a flow of how I should fence. Boom, boom. Lose a touch, it's fine. If I'm losing a touch, I'm going to go back to it. Fencing is a game of momentum. Momentum that can flip at any moment. He scored a point. Boom, boom. Then another. Boom, boom. Advance lunge. Advance lunge. Advance lunge. Jump lunge. More points for Khalil. Score. Then it's 12-12. They're tied. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I want, I'm going to win this. You're tired now, so I'm just going to, I'm going to keep forcing you. I'm going to force you to move now. So when you're on the attack, you can push your opponent to the edge of that line. So it feels like they're hanging on the edge of a cliff. That's what Khalil did. So he couldn't move. So he tries to attack and make a miss. Push him to the end of strip. Attack, finish my attack. He tries to attack again. I make a miss. Push the end of strip. Tries to attack again, but tries to make a longer attack. And I just do, went back to the original plan. Step lunch. Boom. And I won. That's the only time in his fencing career that Khalil has come back from an 0 and 8 start. Uh, yeah, that was a growth. That was a growth moment for me. <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing that again. He promised himself he'd never get that far behind in a match again. Khalil chose Penn State for college. It had the kind of fencing program that Khalil was looking for. I loved it. What do you love about it? I am, I think, so coming from the Peter Westbrook Foundation, my biggest thing is like being close with people in my space. And the team was very close with each other. Everyone was cool, super nice. Khalil was excited about the future. Penn State has one of the strongest fencing programs in the country, which meant that he would be practicing with people a lot better than him. That would push him to grow as a fencer. 
Maybe he'd even get a shot at the Olympics one day. But being a student athlete at a Division I college is intense. You're on your own, often for the first time, and there are a lot of demands on your attention. So we have academic advisor meetings, athletic advisor meetings, um, lessons with our coach, class, practice, trying to find time to eat, which was like the one thing I, that I was terrible at. Trying to find my way across the campus because I've definitely spent the first like two weeks late to class all the time. <laughs> um, so it was kind of a hard transition. Transition was not easy. And also, I think, it, and that was three weeks into school, three weeks into the semester, I had realized I had realized I was the only black person in my English class. Never in my life had that happened before. So I was just like, uh, what? <laughs> I was just like, okay, I kind of have to like really adjust to the school and the environment I'm in. Normal things like everyday tasks became really hard for Cleo. Just eating regularly became a chore. Having casual conversations was taxing. He had no routine to speak of. And all of these problems just compounded the anxiety, made things worse. And on top of that, he was away from home for the first time and put a lot of pressure on himself to succeed. I started feeling a little overwhelmed. And then I eventually stopped, stopped, um, sleeping and then I would get tired throughout the day and I was missing then at some point I would like sleep and I was like missing class then I would stop eating and then at a certain period of like time something about me had changed Khalil was surrounded by new teammates who didn't know him that well and who wouldn't be able to tell that he wasn't being himself but that wasn't true when he got on the phone with his mom I, I remember like my mom would constantly call me Every week, and I was like, I want my space. I want my freedom. Leave me alone. And she has the, that that mom sense of like, are you okay? And I was like, yes, I'm okay. And after a while, I was like, am I okay? I tried finding out the answer by myself, and I just couldn't. And it made it more confusing and a little more frustrating. Also, like, I had um, lashed out a lot emotionally, just randomly. The rage that Khalil had dealt with his whole life, it was the worst it had ever been. He was picking fights with random people at bars on the weekends. And one day during fencing practice, it reached a breaking point. I didn't sleep the night before. I was exhausted from practice and I wasn't fencing well. I was not fencing well at all. So that was really getting to me. And I was fencing somebody and my attitude was like, I should be winning right now. And there's no reason why I need to, I should be losing this match. And I lost 5-0. I just had a fit. I was so mad that I hit my weapon on the ground and I broke it. It was as if I was like th like throwing down a hammer. It just shattered in my hand. And I got kicked out of practice for that. The only person that Khalil was opening up to at the time was Peter Westbrook. Telling me that I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too much. I can't stay. I can't exist. I can't do it. I can't stay in school. I can't function. I can't do it. I don't know. I don't even know what's wrong, but I can't do it. I got to come home. I can't do it. I hear the stress. I hear the unhappiness. I hear the disappointment. I hear the depression. Khalil struggled through two years of school. 
But after his last final of his sophomore year, his mom helped him pack his stuff and drive home. Home was meant to be safe, the place where he could get a break from this darkness that now seemed to follow him wherever he went. When he got home, he realized it had followed him there too. And then at one time I had an argument with my mom about something and like I lashed out. Like I didn't physically do anything or hurt anybody, but I was just like, I just was really angry and they were just like, okay, something's up. Like we have to talk about this. A psychologist told Khalil that he had severe anxiety and depression. Finally having a name for what he was going through made Khalil realize that he needed help and he needed a break. So he decided not to go back to Penn State in the fall. Instead, he climbed into bed. He stopped talking to his friends, he stopped eating, and he stopped fencing. He felt worse than he ever had. Like he'd blown his fencing career, his academic career, and with them, the opportunities that he'd worked so hard for. He felt like he'd let down his family, his mom, his sister, even Peter. I had like a couple of really bad like really low lows that um I did oof oh man there were like a couple times where I thought of suicide Khalil didn't tell anybody about these thoughts not even Peter he didn't want them to worry and he didn't want a bunch of attention that's when people like start looking at you like, oh my God, are you okay? Is everything going to be all right? What can I do for you? And the answer to me at the time was, I was like, what can you do for me? You, you can't handle this. We can't, you don't want to bear this weight on you. You don't want to feel this. Khalil could barely get out of bed in those days, but Peter wouldn't leave him alone. Peter was just like, yo, man, you got to get out and go to practice. Come on. You got to get up, man. You can't stay at home. You can't let it beat you. Khalil. You got to come here. How can I come here if I can't get out of bed? How can I come here? I'm so broken. I'm so devastated. I can't. That is what you have to do. Once you come here, we can show you how to fly, to be new, to be more improved, better than you ever did. But now is the biggest time of your life. You have to come and make that step forward. And he said, you can't let yourself beat you. Like you are, you are losing to yourself. And I never thought, I just really couldn't think of it that way. And I didn't realize at the time, like, your mind, like, you can be your greatest enemy. You, you, you are stopping yourself from your greatness. He started thinking of his depression in fencing terms, which helped it feel beatable. I look at it as my opponent having a multi-touch run on me. So I'm losing consecutive points. Things aren't working. I don't have a flow. So, so I look at it as when you're in those moments, you stop or you like try and break up the rhythm of the action, stop, take a couple of breaths, reevaluate yourself, and then come up with a plan. So slowly, Khalil started practicing again at the foundation. I would go to therapy and then go to practice right after. So <laughs> those are also intense, those are also a lot of intense practices for me. And then I would talk to Peter during those practices. And I just remember every time I talked to him, we, he gives me like a little bit of advice. Just a little bit that takes me a long way, you know. And he said, start with the little things. The most basic things that you that you feel you can't do, start with those and work your way up. So at the time I wasn't I was like, okay, I was a I would choose three things. I said I got out of bed today before 12 o'clock. I ate breakfast and 
I talked to one friend. He took small steps, just like when he came back from being down eight points at that match in Hungary. Every time Khalil left his house for the foundation, every time he picked up a saber, and every time he went to therapy, he felt himself crawling out of the dark hole he was in. Peter told me that you gotta learn how to celebrate the little wins. You trick your mind into thinking you just did something and you should feel great about it. Even if it's the most basic thing, but at the time you don't feel like you can, you know? So you remind yourself, you know, first of all, you need to eat. That's gonna help you feel better. Okay, cool. You need to practice because the exercise is gonna make you feel better. And it wasn't even like a feel better, but it was just like, I don't feel as bad. So because I don't, mm. I was feeling bad, now I don't feel as bad. And as days progress, I don't feel as bad anymore. Khalil finally returned to the Strip to officially compete in December, six months after he left Penn State. It was at a Senior World Cup, a huge international competition. And it didn't go well. I got rocked. But I um, got to watch this level of fencing again. And it brought a joy to me. Shortly after, Khalil went to a training camp in Madrid that he did much better in. And he was starting to feel like he belonged again. And I was like, I, was, I really want to do this again. Like, I really, and the, the dreams of wanting to go to the Olympics came back in my head again. Khalil was still seeing his therapist when he wasn't traveling. And he was working on ways to manage his anxiety. I spent a lot of time by myself. Um, trying to find new things that, like, brought me happiness outside of fencing. Um, I would go to movies by myself um, and hang out. I'd spend more time with my family. As he started to feel better, he started thinking of what the future could look like again. Then he enrolled in a community college in New Jersey. Later that year, he competed in the 2017 Junior Olympics and he won. And with only a couple of years before the next Summer Olympics, he started to think that maybe this could be his shot. And Peter saw Khalil emerging as a different fencer than that kid he used to coach. He's able to mix up the different rhythms to confuse people. The soft, lovely movements and the darn right ghetto project. I'm going to stick you with this sword in your left eye. So he's able now to mix it up, to jazz it up. And you don't know which one is coming. That's what makes him really good. A year after he won at the Junior Olympics, Khalil was at another national tournament. He won his first two matches. His third was against the fencer he knew from Penn State. He was coming face to face with the past. This match was like a test of all the lessons he'd learned, all the work he'd done over the last two years. I'm losing this match 8-5, and I feel like I'm about to puke. And my coach is talking to me, and he says, forget about it. You know how to fence this kid. Do it. I put my mask on. I hear the referee. I collect myself with a few breaths and uh, I tell myself you cannot lose this match if you want to get to your goal you cannot lose this match Khalil takes a deep breath he knows what he has to do I'm losing 8-5 and I bring the score to 10-10 and from 10-10 we're scoring going back and forth I'm up 11-10 he comes back 11 I'm up 12-11 12-12 I'm up 14-13. I go for an action. I miss it by just a hair. And I'm... I tell myself, don't change. Keep doing Keep fencing. So I remember, I was like, okay, 14-14, I'm going to attack. Referee calls simultaneous. There's no point. And he notices there's a pattern. I scored three times attacking when he tried to parry, and he wasn't. He didn't get it. 
So he's, and I figured his pattern, I figured his pattern out, said he's gonna parry this pipe. The Penn State kid tries to parry. Khalil hits him, and the ref calls the point for Khalil. When Khalil realizes he's won, he lets out this massive scream. It's like a release of two years of pain and pressure and hard work and perseverance. I don't ever do that when I fence. I'm running to the other side of the strip, jumping, screaming. For a year and a half, I couldn't get myself to fence like that. And I was just filled with joy, and I was just like, whew, thank God. Earlier this year, Khalil was teetering on the edge of making it onto the Olympic team. The top three fencers would make the team, along with the fourth as an alternate. Khalil was ranked fourth, but he was in a months-long competition with the guys just behind him, who were ranked fifth and sixth. Now for me, it's a time to really prove that I can do it. And if he wanted to make the Olympic team, he'd have to defend his spot. You know, I've been working for this. I've dreamed of it. His ranking hinged on his performance in just three tournaments. It was a lot of pressure. Now the only thing is to perform. What does making it to the Olympics mean to you? I'd say it's like a probably the first big accomplishment I have in my life. It's a life goal at this point. And then in May, I got this voice message from him. Kareem, my man, what's going on? Um, so I did it. I qualified for the Olympics. Super excited. I, it hasn't hit me yet. I have no idea how to even feel right now, but I'm definitely looking forward to Tokyo. Because, you know, just happy everything worked out well. And now I'm just hoping that you and the three-on-three -three team qualify, and I hope everything works out with you guys. It'd be awesome to see you there, brother. So wishing you good luck and nothing but the best, man. This episode was produced by Alex Sujong Laughlin and Greta Weber, with production support from Mitchell Johnson, Jess Shane, Lacey Roberts, and Debbie Daughtry. Our executive editor is Sarah Nix. Executive producing by me, Kareem Maddox, along with Greta Cohn, Josh Block, and Jessica Grimshaw. Sound design by Alex Overington. Jasmine Flott is our music supervisor. This is a USG audio podcast in collaboration with Transmitter Media. For more information, go to our website, usgaudio.com. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a hotline for individuals in crisis or for those looking to help someone else. To speak with a certified listener, call 1-800-273-8255. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 